Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. If this is your very first time here at Restoration Church, I just want to say welcome home, welcome to the family. This is a place where you could be you, a place where you could belong before you believe. And we're just really glad that you are here with us today. Uh, also, if you're tuning in from uh, online through YouTube or Facebook, we just want to say welcome if this is your very first time as well. Uh, we're just so glad that you have taken time out of your day to be here with us today. And so church, I'm really excited to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. We kind of took a pause for a couple of weeks, and we, we did a, a marriage series for about four weeks, and we talked about, uh, after the marriage series, we did a two-part series on, on living by the book, and so really explaining to you the importance of the scriptures and why here at Restoration Church we decide to um, uh, really focus on biblical messages and go through books of the Bible section by section, verse by verse, uh, and that's kind of what we do here at Restoration. So, um, Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41 today, I titled the message today, The Lord of the Storm, The Lord of the Storm. Next week, just to give you a heads up so you can follow along, sometimes, right, like we don't know what to do for our devotionals, right? Like where do I start? Do I just kind of grab my Bible, open it up, and then do a, a Bible study on Leviticus? It's kind of crazy. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, I really encourage you to kind of read ahead a little bit for next week, and you study the passage, and come back to church on Sunday and see kind of, you know, compare notes, if you will, but really study that. And so Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 will be next week, next week. So let me kind of catch you up to speed. It's been a while since we've been in Mark, but let me catch you up to speed. Let me give you kind of the spark notes version here. So Jesus begins his preaching ministry very early on in the gospel of Mark. Uh, and we see Jesus do certain miracles. Uh, he is able to cast out demons from people. He is able to heal many sick people. And so it's a display of Jesus's divinity and Jesus's authority. And so what happens is that as Jesus is displaying his divinity, and authority through these miracles that he's doing is that he is um, also encountering opposition from the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they just, they really don't like Jesus and they actually want to kill him. So during this time, Jesus also chooses his dream team. He chooses 12 men called the apostles to help him take that ministry further out because he knows that things are going to get really hot and things are going to get uh, pretty crazy. Opposition and persecution is going to increase. And so as Jesus' opposition uh, is increasing, so is his popularity. That's a really interesting thing that as Jesus' uh, opposition against the religious leaders is increasing, so is his, his popularity. And so Jesus is ministering to multiple thousands and hundreds of people um, in his ministry. And so where we left off last time, 
Jesus was preaching to thousands of people on the Sea of Galilee. He's on a boat, probably Peter, uh, Peter's boat, maybe Andrew and James' boat, who knows. Um, but, uh, but he's on this boat preaching from the shore because there were so many people that were going to crush him. And so he's preaching from the shore to tons and tons of people. And so that's where we kind of left off last time. So let's go ahead and dig into our text today. It says this. On the day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already being filled. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking you to lead us and to guide us in the study of your word. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our hearts and illuminate our minds? God, may this be a message for your people today that is encouraging, challenging, and yet comforting despite the difficulties we face. Father, we ask that what we know not, you teach us. And what we have not, you give us. And what we are not, God, you make us. In your name we pray, amen. Church, I want to begin by telling you a story. Uh, When Christina and I uh, and our team uh, decided to plant Restoration Church, uh, we got trained through this organization called ARC. And they said, hey, before you launch, you have to you know, recruit people because you're going to need help launching the church. And so they said that one of the primary ways that you recruit people is by having these like interest parties. Uh, so about f- six months before we launched, we had four interest parties or once a month starting in August. And so what we did is we kind of told everyone about these interest parties and we actually came in this very building here. We set up a bunch of chairs. We invited people. We had, uh, you know, like, a, like snacks and just fun things for the kids. Uh, and then we just kind of shared our vision with people and said, hey, if you want to be part of this vision to help people know God, find community, discover purpose, and make a difference, then you're in the right place. And so we would give people the opportunity to join our launch team and to help us launch Restoration Church. Now, I remember the very first interest meeting. Man, when I see pictures of it, it just gives me anxiety. Like, it was just the most anxious time of my life. But we set up like a bunch of chairs and we were like, is anybody even going to show up? Like, is anyone even going to come? And next thing you know, people just started coming. Like, it was awesome. Like, people started trickling. Like, our team was excited. There was such a cool vibe uh, to, the, to the event. And so Christina and I, 
We shared our vision. We, we encouraged and challenged people. We shared our heart for this community, the community, the community of Northwest Peoria. And it was just, we had about maybe 60 to 70 people that day, that first interest party. Some of them, yeah, they came just to wish us well. But the really cool thing is that some people actually joined our launch team through that. And so I remember after the interest party, uh, we, Christina and I get in the car, and I'm just like, man, that was awesome. Like, whoever said church planting was going to be hard, like, it was hard for them. It ain't going to be hard for me, baby. Like, I got this. Like, I, man, I cast that vision so good. They couldn't say no. It was irresistible, right? And I was just like, I had a big old head. I'm not going to lie. I had a big old head. I'm like, this is easy, whatever. Okay? Interest party number two comes around, right? Next month, I'm like, man, this time we're going to have not, uh, not 60 people, but 160 people. And so church, it's crazy because I actually grew the interest party down to six people the second time. Six people showed up to the interest party the second time. Now, what did that do to my confidence? What did that do to my faith. I remember getting on the car that time and being like, babe, it's over. (laughs) It is over. Like, shut it down. Let me just go get a job. Like, it's over six people, and two of them were family members, and two of them were friends. So, and I I, I just remember being like, babe, like, I don't know. Like, is it even going to work? And I was honestly worried. But here's what God was trying to teach me. Hey, man. You think you have faith, but you don't have as strong of a faith as you think. That situation revealed and exposed my lack of faith in God. Because what I was looking at was the numbers in the seats and the people in the seats. I wasn't looking at God and how big and awesome and great and wonderful and how he provides. I wasn't looking at him. And so it revealed and exposed a lack of faith within me. And that ain't the first time that's happened. It's happened plenty of times in the course of my life. And maybe you could relate, right? Like, has there been a time or maybe right now where there's a lack of faith in your life? Is there some kind of struggle or storm or difficulty that you're going through right now? And there's a lack of faith in your life. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe this pandemic really, really hit you hard financially. And you're like, God, like, how am I going to make it? There's no way I'm going to make it. Maybe it's a health struggle and you got some bad news or you've been struggling with your health and you're like, God, are you ever going to heal me? Like, I don't think you even hear me, God. I've been praying and praying and praying for you to heal me physically and you still have not come through. Maybe for you, it's a relational issue. You've been trying to restore a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, and you're like, God, it's not working. There's no hope here in this relationship. Maybe it's a career move. There was a lot of career shifts and moves uh, during this pandemic. And you thought you were headed in your career, in your life, this certain direction. And man, there was a sudden shift in your career. You're like, God, I worked so hard for something, and now I don't have that. And can, can you, do you have the ability to provide and to lead me and guide me to where I'm going? Maybe it's the salvation of friends and family that you've been praying and praying and praying for the salvation, 
of your friends and family. You're like, God, they're never going to come to faith. I've been praying for years. I, I don't know what it is. But can we just be real for a second here? Because here at Restoration Church, we're real. We don't put on a mask, think we have it all together. The pastor doesn't even have it all together. Let's be real. You're going through something. I know many of you are going through something. A storm, a difficulty. And right now, you're just holding on to what little faith that you have in God. But see, here's the thing, church. We have to do something about it. Because a lack of faith produces an abundance of fear. Isn't that true? That a lack of faith produces an abundance of fear. And once we let fear set into our lives, man, we just start playing the what if game. And the what if game is super dangerous. What if God doesn't come through financially? What if God doesn't come through for my health? What if God doesn't come through for my marriage? What if God doesn't come through for the salvation of my family and friends? And so it is important, church, that we deal with the lack of faith. And so my hope and my prayer is this, that when you leave today, that your faith would be strengthened, that you would leave encouraged, that you would be able to face the difficulties and the storms in your life today. And maybe right now you're in a season where things are good and that's awesome. Enjoy those seasons, enjoy them. But Jesus said that in this trouble or in, the, in, this, in this world, we will have trouble. It's not if, but when we have trouble. So what is the cure then for a lack of faith? What is the cure then for the lack of faith? And this is the question that I want to answer today. And our passage is going to answer that for us today. Now, I want to say this. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard this passage, right? Anybody ever heard this passage? Anyone? Okay. Most of you guys, some of you guys, okay. You've heard this passage, right? And, and a lot of times when we come to church, we already think what the, what, what the preacher is going to say. You probably think... I'm going to say that this passage is about Jesus helping us overcome the storms of our life. That the winds and the waves represent our troubles and that Jesus helps us through the storms of life. That's, that's a sub point of the passage today. That is not the primary point of that passage. I think you can preach it that way. Sure, that works. But it is not Mark's primary point of the passage. You will see today that the primary point of the passage here today is not simply focused on your storms, and it's not focused on Jesus helping you through the storms. You will see today that this passage is about Christ, his goodness, his power, his magnificence, and his beauty, and that is going to help you in your life today. Now, here's the deal. Let's just jump in here real quick. Um, I have four, four points, and really they're not, more, they're not truly points. They're the way that this passage is broken down. It's the structure of this passage, this passage. And so first, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is the setting. I want you to see the setting of what, what's taking place here. Verse 35 and 36, if you would look with me in your Bibles today, it says this. 
On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So this is the setting of the story. This is kind of the context of the story. Now notice this in your Bibles. Mark tells us that on that day when evening had come. So what day is he talking about? If you look before in the, in the previous chapters, here's what Jesus' day looks like. Jesus had a long day of ministry. He was actually accused of being demon-possessed by the religious leaders of the day. In that same day, Jesus' mother and siblings came to, to look for Jesus, and they wanted to take Jesus back with them to Nazareth because they thought Jesus has gone crazy. Like, you've lost your mind. We're here to come take you and take you back with us. Not only that, but Jesus was preaching to thousands of people off the shore of the Sea of Galilee and to the point where they're going to crush him. He had to get on the boat and preach off the shore. It's been a long, long day for Jesus. I mean, it's a long day of ministry. And so then Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, guys, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I asked myself, why did Jesus want to go across to the other side? Like, why would he want? I mean, think about it, right? If you're preaching to hundreds and thousands of people and it's going really well, why would you want to stop and go to the other side? Was it because Jesus was tired and he's had a long day of ministry? Probably. Was it because Jesus was not done teaching his disciples? Probably. There's still a lot more lessons being taught by Jesus. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the east side of the sea. And if you notice, other boats followed him. Like the crowd couldn't get enough of Jesus. And so people followed Jesus even on the boat. In 1986, there was a, a boat that was found, and it was dated to the first century, so during this time. And so uh, the boat was about 27 feet long and 7 feet wide, and it could fit about 15 people in it. And so Jesus was on this boat with his disciples comfortably, and so they set out to the other side of the sea. Now, the second thing I want you to see is not only the setting, but the storm. I want you to see the storm here in verse 37 and 38. It says this, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Mark tells us that it was a great windstorm. It wasn't just those haboobs we have here in Arizona, right? Like, those things are weak, man. Those things are weak. No, it was a great windstorm. And so the Greek word here for windstorm actually means hurricane. Hurricane, that's what it means. They were hurricane force winds and waves that were smashing on this boat. It was a full-blown storm that the disciples and Jesus found themselves in. And so water was breaking into the boat. 
I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a storm like that, but uh, maybe like four or five years ago, uh, Christina and I decided to go with some of my high school friends. We decided to go on a cruise during hurricane season. I didn't know that. They just said, let's go. It's going to be fun, they said. It was scary, you know? And, uh, and so we go out, and it's like, I think it was like at that time, it was Hurricane Irma or something like that. But anyway, we, we were on the beach this, at this one point trying to avoid the storm, and they put us on this little island, and we were just kind of hanging out. You know, I was, I was drinking water and stuff, just, you know, just let you know, I was drinking water, okay? And uh, drinking water. And, uh, and so we're just chilling, we're just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I mean, this windstorm started picking up. Like, and chairs started flying, umbrellas started flying. Like, it was pretty crazy. Like, it was kind of terrifying. And the thing was that we didn't even get, like, the powerful side of the storm. Like, we got the very edge of the storm. Now, I could just imagine being in the middle of a full-blown hurricane on the Sea of Galilee with 15 dudes in a tiny 27-foot boat as water was just crashing in. Now, I want to ask you a question here. What caused the storm? What caused the storm? Let me ask you this. Who caused the storm? Two things. There is a secondary cause, which I would also call a natural cause. This is a secondary natural cause. You see, the Sea of Galilee was very familiar with these type of storms. Like they, they occurred often. And here's why. The Sea of Galilee was 700 feet or is 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest sea in the world. And what would happen is you've had, you, you, you would have air coming in from the top. It would go down into these ravines that would serve as tunnels. And it would push this air into the lake. And when the air that was coming down through the ravines, through this tunnel, uh, they would go onto the lake and they would meet with the, the, the lake, the air from the lake. And so when these two airs collided, it would cause these sudden and violent hurricane winds and waves and storms. It's a natural cause, right? There's also a primary cause, a supernatural cause. Scripture teaches that God alone controls the waters, that God alone controls nature. Let me give you some verses, Jeremiah chapter 10. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens when he utters his voice. There is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. The power and the control and the sovereignty of God, he causes the winds to come, but he also stills the wind. Psalm 65, God who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the people. Psalm 89, 8 through, through 9, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So God is the one who causes the storms but God is also the one 
who controls the storms. And in today's story, it's super important. Jesus is the one who caused the storm. Jesus is the one who caused the storm. He has power over nature. Jesus is the one who caused the storm because he is the creator and sustainer and the controller of all of creation, especially nature. Colossians chapter 1, 16 through 17. For by him all things, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the creator, the controller, the sustainer of all of creation. Now, there's two things that I really want to just point out here in this part of the story. Notice that Jesus continues to teach his disciples. You see, the storm was part of the day's curriculum. He was teaching off the shore to hundreds and thousands of people. And then he said, hey, guys, let's go off to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Step into my lab. We're going to really see how you respond to what you've seen and heard. We're going to respond to, to, to we're going to see how you respond to the lectures, to the things that I've taught you, to the things that you've seen me do. We're going to see how you respond to those. If you've ever taken a science class in college, right? What do you have? You have the lecture part of the class where you sit in a class and you hear the teacher lecture and then you have the what? You have the lab. You have the lab part of the class and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's taught them and he showed them uh, who he is and now he's gonna take them to his lab and put them to test. And that's what Jesus does for us as well. Storm Theology 101. Notice too, this is huge, that what led the disciples to be in the storm wasn't disobedience. Do you pick that up in the story? That a lot of people think that when there's a storm in my life, a difficulty in my life, it's because I've been disobedient or sinful. Do you notice that disciples were following Jesus? They were trying to do what's right. They were being obedient to Jesus. Yet they still found themselves in the storm. Obedience also leads you into those storms. Jesus led his disciples. He's the one that said, hey, let's go to the other side. I'm about to lead you into a storm, but I'm not going to leave you in the storm. And I think someone today needs to hear that. That Jesus has led you into a storm. Whatever you're going through, it's not by chance. It's not by luck. It is a divinely ordained situation that you're going through. And he has led you into the storm, but he's not going to leave you in the storm. So don't be alarmed, church, or surprised at the sudden storms of life since they're divinely ordained by God. And so God uses these storms as he takes us in to test our faith, 
to reveal who he is, to reveal who we are and what we need. Storms cause us to be dependent upon God. Notice this in the passage. Jesus is asleep. He was exhausted after a long, long day of ministry. This is a display of Jesus's humanity. A lot of us forget that Jesus was 100% human. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. And sometimes we forget about his humanity, but here in this passage, we see his humanity. He was exhausted. He was tired. And he was sleeping on this cushion. And so Jesus' problem wasn't fear or a lack of faith, but it was fatigue. Fatigue of doing the ministry. And so he's exhausted, he's sleeping. But it's very interesting that as the fishermen are scared and panicking, the carpenter is asleep. Isn't that interesting? that the fishermen who are used to the storms and the waves and the wind are panicking when the carpenter sleeps. And so what happens next? The disciples start panicking. They freak out. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They freak out. It reveals their lack of faith. And guess what? This lack of faith turned into fear that they were going to perish. They were going to die, and their fear turned into accusation. Jesus, don't you care about us? They begin to accuse Jesus about not caring about them. They they begin to accuse Jesus of, of, of being indifferent towards them. Do you not care? You're sleeping over here. Do you not care? Have you ever been there? Have you ever told God that? Do you not care? I have. God, do you not care? Do you not care what I'm going through? Are you too busy? Do you not care that I can't make it financially? Do you not care that I'm sick? Do you not care that that my kids are sick? Do you not care? Do you not care? Have you ever been there? I think we've all been there. Do you not care? And so these disciples displayed a lack of faith, which gave into fear when faced with a dangerous storm. But I want to tell you today, church, that the greatest danger is not what happens around us. It's what happens in us. The greatest danger is not what happens around us, our circumstances, our storms. It's what happens in us. The greatest danger is not our circumstances, but the condition of our faith. The greatest danger is not the external forces that we cannot control, but the internal forces that control us. The greatest danger is a lack of faith in God. And notice this, point number three, the rebuke. The rebuke, verse 39 and 40. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and sea and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? First of all, I just want to say, if I were Jesus, I'd be upset. Why are you waking me up like that? Like I, The first thing I would do is I'd rebuke the disciples for waking me up, and then I'd throw them overboard, man. I hate being woken up like that. 
Anybody else being, you know, would, would do the, thank you, thank you. I feel way better of myself. I feel justified. But man, just think about it. He's sleeping. He's exhausted. And he gets woken up by these disciples who are freaking out. And what does Jesus do? First, he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the, the wind and the waves. He says, peace, be still. This is a display of Jesus's divine nature, of his divinity. So this passage is a great passage to prove Jesus's humanity and divinity. You see those two things in this passage. He's asleep and he's exhausted and he's tired, but yet he wakes up. And he displays his divinity that he is God. And so Mark uses this word rebuke again here, that he rebuked the wind and the, and the sea and the waves. And, and he used this same word in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus rebuked a demon out of a man. The same exact word. And what happened, if you remember in Mark chapter 1, after he did that, the people were astonished at his authority and his power and his commanding power. The same thing is true here. We see Jesus' display of authority and power over nature. And when he rebuked the wind and the waves, he turns to his disciples and he rebukes them. He rebukes them pretty harshly. You see, here's the thing. He turns to his disciples and he tells them, why are you so afraid? Like, why are you so afraid? What's very interesting, though, that is this, is this, that Mark doesn't use the normal Greek word for afraid here in this passage. He doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, delios, which means this, coward or cowardly or timid. He doesn't use the normal word. He uses this different word that means coward or timid. And so, so essentially, here's what's happening. Here's what happens. The disciples tell Jesus, hey, do you even care? And Jesus responds with the question, why are you acting so cowardly right now? Why are you acting so timidly? You should have enough confidence by now to not act cowardly. I mean, those are strong words from Jesus himself to his disciples. I think we always try to get this picture of Jesus, right, that he's super nice all the time, that he doesn't like, like conflict or confrontation. No, he calls his own disciples cowards. Why are you so cowardly right now? Then he says, have you still no faith? Do you still not have faith? After everything we've seen, after you've seen me heal people, after you've seen me cast out demons, you, you, you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? In the gospel of Mark, Jesus actually rebukes the disciples five more times. Five more times after this. It took him a while to get it. So feel encouraged, church, if you don't get it the first time or the second time or the third time. There's patience with Jesus. There's patience. You're going to fail. Your, your, your faith is going to lack at times. It is. Let me ask you this. How have you seen God move in your life in the past? You see, Jesus told his disciples, hey, don't you guys remember what I said? Don't you remember what I did? Don't you remember my authority and my power? How has God moved in your life in the past? How has he provided for you in the past? 
How has he protected you in the past? How has he come through for you when you had no hope and you were about to give up? How have you seen him work powerfully in the past? Let me remind you today, the same way that he worked in the past, he's going to work in the present and he's going to work in the future. God doesn't change and he doesn't fail. And lastly, I want you to see this, the reveal, the reveal. And when they, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This question the disciples asked revealed the cause of their lack of faith. I'm going to say that again. This question that the disciples asked revealed and exposed the cause for their lack of faith. What was it? What was the cause? They did not understand who Jesus was. That was the cause for their lack of faith. They said, hey, who is this guy? After everything that they've seen and heard and he's done, they still did not know who he was, and it therefore caused a lack of faith in their life. They had an identity issue, and it wasn't trying to find out who they are. They didn't understand and fully grasp Jesus's identity, who he was. And so here is the point of the story. Here is the point of the story. Here's that main point that Mark is trying to get across in this story. Here it is. It's this, that a lack of understanding results in a lack of faith. That a lack of understanding results in a lack of faith. If we don't know who Jesus is, our faith will lack because we don't know who he is. That's what the point of this passage is. The disciples saw Jesus perform miracles, do all this stuff, and they still did not know who Jesus was. If they knew who Jesus was, if they knew who was in the boat with them, they wouldn't be freaking out. They wouldn't be panicking. They wouldn't because they know who is in the boat with them. So church, I have to ask you this question. Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you truly sat down and taken time to just let God's attributes, Jesus's attributes, his beauty, his greatness, his power captivate your heart? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you truly know who Jesus is? Do you know? I mean, we could spend so much time here today going through Jesus's attributes and titles, and we'll be here forever just diving deep into who he is. But there are two things here in this passage that will display who he is for us, and I just hope that these would give you encouragement and hope. And the first thing is this, that Jesus is a promise keeper that Jesus is a promise keeper. Did you notice that when Jesus told his disciples, hey, um, 
let us go to the other side. It was not only a command, it was a promise. You catch that? That it was not simply just a command to go to the other side. It was a promise. That Jesus doesn't promise an easy destination in our lives. But he promises a guaranteed arrival. Let me say that again because I think some of you need to hear that today. Jesus doesn't promise an easy destination. But he does promise a guaranteed arrival arrival. Jesus was the one who led his disciples into the storm. Jesus is the one who is leading them and causing the storm, this divine storm. And he's also the one who is going to lead them through the storm. And I think some of you need to hear that today, that he is a promise keeper. He always keeps his promises. He will never fail you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Come on, I know I'm speaking to somebody today. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation, even if you think it's something small, it's important to him. And he's with you. He will provide for you. Whatever resources that you need, he will provide. He will protect, he will guide you understand that he is a promise keeper, always faithful. He is a covenant-keeping God. He never fails. The second thing, and I'm about to finish, who is Jesus? He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise keeper. But he's also the Lord over nature. He's the Lord over nature. He is the sovereign Lord over all creation. God the Father created all of creation through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. He is the controller of everything. He is the sustainer of everything. In him, everything fits together and he holds all of the universe in the palm of his hand. And if Jesus is the sovereign Lord over all creation, don't you think that he has the power to help you through your storm? Who is Jesus? Do you know him? Do you understand who he is? Lack of faith comes from not understanding who he is. And we must, church, we must Understand who he is. We must grasp who he is. Why? Why? Why is this so important? Here's why. Because the bigger picture we have of Christ, the smaller the storms become. The bigger picture we have of Christ, the smaller the storms become. Christ puts our storms into perspective. The storms might seem big in your life because Christ is not big in your life. But if Christ becomes big in your life, the storms will seem small. If you ponder and think and meditate and grasp how beautiful and wonderful he is, how magnificent he is, 
Man, the storms are like tiny waves in the kiddie pool compared to Christ. Our storms are big or might seem big, but Christ is bigger. Amen. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would, in the course of your life, pursue Christ, truly understand who he is, the more you understand who he is, the greater the faith, the stronger the faith. And not only should you understand who he is, you got to know him. You got to know Christ. I'm not talking about a know about Christ with our head simply, but a knowing Christ with our heart. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is not in your boat. Maybe Jesus is not in your heart. He can be. Scripture says it's by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Christ. That's what Scripture says. That you would repent of your sin, turn around, go the other way, and place your faith in Christ. A genuine repentance, a genuine faith to have Jesus in your boat, to have the creator of heaven and earth in your boat, in your heart, and in your life. Let me pray for you. God, we stand in awe of who you are. There's no one like you, Jesus. No one like you. You calm the raging seas you still the storms. You are a promise keeper, sovereign creator of all of the universe. And we belong to you. God, I pray today that if anyone is going through storms today, difficulties, maybe someone's going to give up, may you strengthen their faith Strengthen their hope. May you help them, God, set their eyes and their focus on you, Jesus. Because it is not the strength of our faith that is going to get us through the storms, but the object of our faith. That is you, Jesus. You will lead, you will guide, you will provide. And God, we trust in you. Give hope to where hope is needed. Give strength to where strength is needed. Give resources to where resources is needed, God. We give you all the praise and all the honor. In your name we pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.